And uh, so I titled this morning's message, I've Just Seen Jesus. Now, if that uh, clicks in your mind, it's probably because you have heard Lauren L. Harris and Sandy Patty sing that song. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it means that you're way too young. You need to Google that and uh, listen to that pair sing it. I, um, I, I don't know how many times I've listened to it this week. I sent it to my siblings and our youngest uh, sibling, Becky. Um, mother and dad must have had a lot of uh, talent left over after five kids, so they dumped all the what they had left into Becky. That includes voice, all kinds of abilities that young lady has. And when I sent it to her, she says, you know, I got to sing with Lauren L. Harris that song in Columbus, Georgia. And I said, well, you better find that VHS and digitize it and send it to me because I want to see that. Um, you know, today marks the first week after uh, celebrating the Lord's resurrection. That means there's six weeks to go to Pentecost. And... This was the first week where Jesus appeared. In fact, today, uh, I'm not going to be preaching specifically on, on this experience, but today is the anniversary of when Thomas got to meet him. It was actually one week, exactly one week following the Resurrection Sunday that Thomas, you know, you got to wonder, where was he at the day where 10 of them was there and he wasn't there, so... Maybe he had some issues going on or something, but he didn't have to touch Jesus. You know, you, you remember the verse, he realized that it was him and he just simply could say four words. You remember those? My Lord and my God. And that was enough, wasn't it? So uh, if, you, if you do research on how many appearances did Jesus have during the 40 days that he made himself known you will probably find most places that will say seven. Some will say eight. And I found one that says 12. You ought to look that up. I think they stretched it just a little bit. But we don't know of the possibilities that there could have been other appearances. We just don't have them recorded in the four Gospels. The four Gospels uh, cover those appearances and also 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about who Jesus appeared to. Luke is the only one, and this is where we're going to go this morning, is Luke chapter 24. Luke is the only one out of the four gospels that records the two people walking on the road to Emmaus. In fact, the Methodist church has an Emmaus walk that is really phenomenal. And uh, I've been able to participate, not on site with that, but to uh, be in some of the meetings. Uh, Jesus joins a couple walking to Emmaus, which is about a seven-mile journey. And we're going to jump into that in just a moment. But a third of his appearances, even if you take seven or eight, a third of his appearances take place on the very same day that he was resurrected. We have... Uh, the appearance to Mary, and some think that maybe Mary and a group of women he appeared to him that day. We do know the road to Emmaus, and that evening he appeared to the disciples absent of Thomas. So you could say that that day, the day of his resurrection, was a special day. Um, 
I want to talk a little bit before we jump into chapter 24 that Joseph and Nicodemus was involved in burying, uh, getting Jesus' body from the authorities, uh, preparing it for burial, meaning they washed the body clean and put some ointment on the body, and then they started wrapping cloths around it, adding spices. Um, it, it estimates that 75 to 100 pounds of spices was applied to the body of Jesus. Not all of that was probably applied to him, but they would put it around the corpse as it laid there. And this was very unusual. Uh, this was twice the amount of spices that someone of great notoriety was prepared, four times that of a common person. So we do know that Joseph was a wealthy person. In today's value system, the, the spices he used and the amount would be valued today at $150,000. So that just shows you, and I, I don't think, this is kind of like, think with me just for a moment. If any of these people thought he was going to be resurrected in three days, do you think he, they would have spent that much money on the burial? Right? No. In fact, it kind of, what, what we read is that nobody expected him to be raised from the dead. Even though he clearly told the people closest to him that he was going to be raised three days later. And when people are trying to tell him he's alive, they're like, nah, not unless I see it. I'm, I'm not sure about that. And especially when these two men went to that extreme to prepare the body of Jesus, it really lets us know that they really were not looking forward to him escaping all of that in three days. I don't know if you've heard much about the Shroud of Turin. I want to just, I don't even know if this fits in my message, but I want to talk about it anyway. How's that? The Shroud of Turin. Um, there is um, a Newsmax magazine, this month's edition. Well, there it is. I didn't know you guys had it up. So great. This is uh, a photograph of Jesus. <laughs> this uh, article, and, and I get Newsmax magazine, and when I got it, I said, man, why did they do this? Because they take the shrouded tour, and they said, now with scientific evidence, and you can see it up there, that new evidence emerges from the Stratoturin that says that is an authentic burial cloth of Jesus. And I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. This is all a scam. And you think about it. Just think about it with me just for a moment. We'll jump into uh, the message from Luke 24. Um, if... If that shroud of Turin, if, if the covering of Jesus had been kept, who would have thought to go back in there and get the grave clothes? I don't think anybody was interested in souvenirs. <laughs> and that's basically, the, you know, the church, the church in the next three, four, five hundred years started getting into relics. And they, so, much, so many people thought they had parts of the crucifixion cross of Jesus that it was probably, uh, you know, worth about 
30 crosses, if you added all the wood together. This is a piece of wood of the cross. And they start worshiping stuff. And this is what's happened with this burial cloth. Jesus did not need that burial cloth. He escaped it. It was a cocoon there. And Mary was one of the first ones to get to the tomb. And, and this is how John records that Mary went there by herself. Maybe there's a couple of different visitations. Maybe she was by herself. Maybe she was with some other women on the second time. But she just simply saw that the stone was removed. She looked in and the tomb was empty. And she went and told Peter and John, the rest of the disciples, those two ran to the tomb, investigated, and then they left. And she stayed there crying. This is John in chapter 20, I believe it is. And she's crying, and a man walks up to her, and interestingly, it's the Lord, but she has no idea it's him. And, and you're going to see something in the Emmaus walk, that they, he wasn't recognizable. Was this because that he kept, his, kept them in a way of not realizing it was him, or his, he was so different? There was something different about him that they never picked up. And she thought he was the gardener. She thought he was one that tended to the grounds. And she says, sir, if you have moved him somewhere, please tell me where you've taken him and I will get him. And then uh, he said simply her name, Mary. And she realized who it was. And she fell at his feet and she said, Rabboni, which means teacher or master. And he said, you cannot Hold on to me. So Mary becomes the first person. He turns and tells her, you go and tell the rest of them that I'm alive. And so she goes back to these disciples and she tells them that he's alive. And of course, they believe her, right? No, they don't believe her. I want to take you to John chapter 24 because this is, a, this is the only place that this is recorded. The road to Emmaus. And this is going to be our focus this morning. So if you find, if you'll find Luke 24, and I think the scripture might be up on the screen, beginning of verse 12, this is in the NIV. So, uh, and, and really you can't make this up, that a woman becomes the first person to assign, to, to announce that he is risen from the dead. And to show you how odd that is, anyone here been to Israel? Anyone been to Israel? You have been to Israel? I've been twice. Someone else in the back's been there. I've been twice. Just think about today's culture. The most holy place in Jerusalem for Jews is the Wailing Wall. And even to this day, there's a place for men and there's a place for women. And the women have to go down to their place and they're not allowed to go into the men's court. It's still the same. This is why when you think about him revealing himself to her and telling her, you go and tell the rest of it. It's just, you can't make this up. He is turning culture and custom upside down. He has a way of doing that, right? So I want you to think about that as we read what happens here in Luke 24, verse 12, Peter, it really starts at verse 13, but I want to lead in with what verse 12 says. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away, wondering to himself what had happened. 
I don't know. That just, that just makes me kind of chuckle like someone else did. You know, there's a burial cloth there. And what happened? Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And I guess when you read that, it's kind of, he did something to them to keep them from recognizing him, whether he was that different himself. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? In today's language, what planet are you on? You don't know. And he says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and all our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. You ought to think about that. They considered Sunday the third day. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they... Now, these two men had to be part of that group, right? They went to the tomb early this morning, didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That was a seven-mile walk, so it probably took a little bit of time to start at Moses and going through. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. And they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem, There they found the eleven, those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. I know this is a lot of scripture to read, but what do we make of this particular appearance Everything the Lord is doing is highly selective. He's got 40 days that he appears, and these are selected opportunities. And this is one of the most chosen places that you see him interacting as an ordinary person. I mean, he shows up at the end of this. If you're still there at Luke 24, 
I mean, right after this, they go back and they tell the disciples everything that happened. And immediately while they're still talking, it says he, he appears in the midst of them. So first Jesus walks up and joins them while they're going about talking. And he asks them, what, what are you talking about? And, um, you know, I don't know if this was the same case as Mary Magdalene not realizing who he was. But his appearance was was not known to them and they began to talk to them first of all they was like where have you been this is the talk of this whole city you must be visiting from somewhere far off because this is this is the big news that's going on and jesus asked him what things are you talking about look in verse 25 again you know he's a stranger but he kind of joins in their walk and then he you know what? This would hurt some of our feelings if people would say this to us. How foolish you are. You're so foolish. What's another way of saying? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to explain to you. You're slow to believe all the prophets. And then he starts talking about the Messiah. This was what was promised about Messiah. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he takes them through all the stuff. He takes them through a, a, a reminder course of Scripture. And you know, in that seven miles, he's covering a lot of territory if he starts with Moses. And don't you know that Isaiah 53 was involved in that discussion? And how many other Scriptures he was taking them through? And when they arrived at lodging, I love this part, he acted as though he was going to go on further. You're talking about people making some good decisions. This, it's good that those two did not get their feelings hurt because they would have missed this. He says, who is he to rebuke us? We're not going to ask him to come and spend the evening. But they did. And you know how the story goes. He sits down with them and he simply takes the bread and breaks it, blesses it. And at that moment, their eyes are open open and they realize who he is and instantly he disappears did not our hearts burn they were reflecting back on that journey did not our hearts when he was talking to us something was going on inside of our souls had no idea it was him but did not our hearts burn within us they found the 11 they went back and found the 11 minus Thomas and they declared these words it is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Could it be that Simon was the other person with Cleopas? Do you think that's a stretch to come to that conclusion? Because immediately these two are saying the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Their words had hardly left their lips and Jesus disappeared. In verse 35, then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It was like it opened up. Something happened with their eyes. Something happened with him. Something happened where they realized who they were sitting with. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace be with you. And if you read further, I'm not going to read it, they still couldn't believe. I don't know what's going on with them, right? 
the disciples still had trouble believing. There he is in the midst of them, and they just had these two people show back up and says, he, we, we realized it was him. He, he broke the bread, and there he was. And then he was gone. And while they're even talking, he appears again. This is kind of interesting that in one day, he's doing all of this, and they still are struggling to believe it. If you're reading there, he says, touch me. Touch me. I'm, I'm not a mirage. I really have flesh and bone. He didn't say blood. Flesh and bone. And, and they were still like, yeah, we're not, we're not convinced yet. And then he asks, do you have something to eat? And this is what I think my dad would really like to uh, add if he was preaching. I guess there's going to be eating in heaven. If resurrected Jesus can eat some fish, eat something, we're going to still be eating. Amen. Those who like to eat. But even after he did all of that, appear to them, touch me, it's me, give me something to eat, and they were still struggling. Something, though, was coming their way. Before this chapter is over, you see that the Lord is saying there's a promise of the Father coming your way. This is the march to Pentecost. On the first day that he was showing himself, on the resurrection day, he was already telling them something's coming your way that's going to be beyond your imagination. There's the promise of the Father, the promise of Pentecost. Jesus appeared, I believe, in that room to tell all the rest of them that a reality is coming their way that's going to take them past salvation into the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It seems as though we need that kind of refreshing, doesn't it? To be refreshed in the power of God. The power that takes us past our doubts, our excuses, our limitations... And I believe if we embrace the resurrected Lord more and more, we will also embrace Pentecost more and more. Because he, he was really saying, my resurrection is efficient for you, but you do not need to go from this reality without having an endowment of power from on high. The promise of Pentecost. I don't know what your personal struggles are. But we all, we had a great lesson in the class in the fellowship hall about the love of God and, and how we've experienced the love of God as some of our toughest places, our most painful places, the most brokenness places that we have been, we've witnessed his incredible love. But God knows where you struggle. God knows where every one of us struggle. He knows that thing that we are maybe too embarrassed to tell anybody. He knows every weakness that we find difficult to overcome. God knows exactly what you're in need of today. Do you need encouragement? Do you need do you need healing of some kind, some kind of restoration? Do you need peace in your life? Do you need wisdom in making some decisions that's in front of you?
Do you need freedom? Do you need hope? You know, no, what, no matter what is the end of that question, what, do you in, what are you in need of? The answer is him. Everything that you lack, that you can't manufacture on your own, the resurrected Lord is your source, my source of everything we lack. I want you to reach out this morning in just a, an intentional way and say, Jesus, and you know what, maybe this week has been a reminder to you that you've been fighting an uphill battle about something, trying to conquer something that seems like it's your Achilles heel. It just, it's just one of those things that continually preys upon your life, your mind. It could be lust. It could be a number of things. God wants to heal you. God wants to set you free. And the powerful, resurrected Lord is the one to do that. I want our praise team to come back up. And I, I want you to think, what, Lord, what do I need today? I tell you, we all need to be empowered to be witnesses, to share the Lord to our broken world. I sure hope somebody had shared the Lord to those young people. And ought to be a reminder to us, we should not miss any opportunity to share Christ with people. He's the only answer. Would you stand with me? There, there's things in our lives that we battle. And I hope that this word this morning from God's word brings you hope that he can break the chains. He can break the yoke that binds you. He can infuse you with hope that he has a plan for your life. He really does. Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your counsel. We need your truth. We need your power. We need a healing. Those in this room that have been wounded, a physical wound would be much better than the wounds they've absorbed internally. You want to heal that pain that seems to hold on to someone here in this room. Exactly.